Thank you, John. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. I want to uh, thank you also for the prayers for my youngest son, Jaden. He, uh, many of you know, he had surgery this past Friday to remove his tonsils, and uh, he certainly does have a lot of pain. But uh, he was jumping up and down when we got home because of all the popsicles we had bought him. <laughs> so I think it kind of balanced out a little bit. But he's at home healing and recovery, recovering, so thank you very much for your prayers. This morning we're going to talk about being great. I think everybody wants to be great, whether it's, whether it's a job we have or maybe some kind of a talent or ability we have. Maybe it's uh, our relationships with our family or, or something like that. We all want to be great. We want to be great at something. And to be great brings attention from our peers. It brings attention from the public. It can bring awesome book deals. It can bring, um, you know, uh, big contracts. It can just bring notoriety and fame. <clears throat> Everybody likes that. And there's, there are all kinds of opinions on how you can be great. Some say you become great by who you know. It's all about your connections. And others, it's about being true to yourself, making sure you do what you think you're made for. And then there are others who just say, just don't let anybody get in your way. Work harder than everybody else. That's how you become great. The Huffington Post recently re released an article on how to be great in 24 hours, saying that the best way to become great was to celebrate your small accomplishments every single day. So you make small goals, and when you meet them, you celebrate. And then at the end of the day, you'll feel really great. Sounds kind of cool. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it. I don't have a problem at all. I, I want to make something clear. I don't think there's a problem at all with people wanting to be really, really good at something. There's nothing really wrong with that. But the problem resides in the fact that most of these ideas in being great focus on us. They focus on how we are the center and we're most important. And Jesus had a mission when he came down to earth to serve. God knew that we would struggle with this, focusing on ourselves, and he wanted to show us a different way to be great, through his son Jesus Christ. So in today's passage, we find greatness addressed, and we see how a situation that arises between the disciples and Jesus clarifies how to become great through serving others. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll begin reading at verse 20. Matthew 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. 
Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now when the ten heard about this, meaning the other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we have this interesting situation that arises between the disciples and Jesus. While they're on their way to Jerusalem, <clears throat> the disciples ask about having the two greatest thrones, the ones right next to Jesus, left and the right. And Jesus responds by letting him know it's not in his job description to be able to hand those seats out. That's his father's job, and he's the one who has already prepared them for who they belong to. And I'm sure that this is a surprise to the disciples, but it doesn't stop them from arguing over who should be the greatest. Jesus knows what's on their minds, and so he takes the opportunity to teach them a lesson on power and leadership, and most importantly, how one becomes great as a disciple of Christ. And this is where we're going to focus today. We'll focus our time on this. Now, I'm sure that a lot of us have had job interviews where we uh, take the time to make sure we have that extra edge, right? We make sure we dress extra nice, get on that nice suit, maybe put on some nice smelling perfume or cologne, make sure we have a good presence, practice our handshake, make sure it's firm. Or uh, maybe we make sure we show up 15 minutes early, 30 minutes early, so that we show that we're punctual. Um, or maybe we take time to read about who's interviewing us or read about the company we're trying to get a job at. Make sure that we know all the facts and make sure that we're ready as, pos as ready as possible for the interview. But I don't know many people who would ask their mom to speak on their behalf. <laughs> that is one I don't think I have ever heard. <laughs> to ask their mom to go tell their boss, hey, how about that promotion <laughs> for, my, for my kids? Um, but that's kind of what happens here. Not exactly sure why. There are some ideas and theories that um, make some sense, but really it's kind of a strange situation. Mom comes up and asks, asks Jesus about, uh, about getting her two sons, the uh, left, and, left and right throne to Jesus' throne. But it's important that we're fair about this whole thing because it wasn't just those two sons who are named James and John. It wasn't just those two sons who had uh, this on their mind. There were the other disciples who also had talked about this before. If we look at Mark chapter 9, we can read about another one of these instances. Mark chapter 9, it says this, Jesus and his disciples went to his home in Capernaum, 
And after they were inside the house, Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about? I'm sorry, what were you arguing about along the way? They had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest, and so they did not answer. After Jesus sat down and told the disciples to, to gather around him, he said, If you want the place of honor, you must become a slave and serve others. And still this happens even later at the Last Supper. In Luke chapter 22, it says, A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. So you see, this was something that was on the minds of all the disciples, really. It wasn't just these two guys. So when it says that they're indignant, it's not that they were really upset because of what they were asking. They were kind of thinking, well, hey, wait a minute. Why are you giving yourself that extra edge? That's not fair. I have a case, too. But uh, this was something that Jesus had uh, a challenge with the disciples all along. So we know that James and John were trying to get to the highest positions. And we know that there was, this was always on the disciples' minds. But Jesus wanted them to understand that greatness in God's kingdom was not anywhere near what they were thinking. You see, you see the disciples were thinking of power and authority, the way that they saw it displayed by the Roman Empire. Now at this time, the Jewish nation Israel was under the authority of the Roman Empire. So when Jesus talks about lording it over them and exercising authority, he was referring to the Romans and how they used to use their power to put people down, to keep them out of the way, to make sure they knew their place, and any of the leaders would simply raise themselves up, and everybody else was kind of subject to them. And that's what they saw. So the disciples were thinking that way. So Jesus wanted the disciples to get that out of their heads, and and, that's, and to know that that's not how the kingdom of God works. And like I mentioned, this is a challenge that Jesus constantly had with the disciples. In the disciples' minds, they had a different picture also of what Jesus' kingdom was going to be like. They thought that Jesus was going to be a great, amazing political figure. He was going to come in, take over the throne, get rid of the Romans, have an amazing presidential slogan, maybe, you know. And Jesus was going to rule. And then, because the disciples decided to follow him so early on, on in his campaign, they would get their own kind of seats of honor, right? And they would have the chance to be able to practice their authority and their power, just like they saw the Romans do. But this is not what Jesus' mission was all about. His work had to do with spiritual life and getting people to focus on God and turn to him, not taking away earthly thrones from kings. And in this instance we're reading through today, we see these two different trains of thoughts clashing in this conversation. But Jesus didn't miss this opportunity to teach the disciples again. He took them aside and explained how they would become great by putting down their desire for power and taking up the role of servant so they could become great in God's kingdom. So as we look over these verses, we'll, t- we'll see how the, the disciples sought to be great in comparison to how Jesus knew 
how to be great. So first off, let's look at this. To be great, to be great according to the world means that you put yourself first, right? Put yourself first. It makes sense. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. This is what the mother asked. But in God's kingdom, you put others first. You don't put yourself first. You put others first. Jesus says, And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We're going to be looking at this passage a bunch as we're going through this. Now, this is really an opposite way of thinking, right? I mean, if you're going to be first, you've got to be first. <laughs> you've got to put yourself first. You've got to run the fastest. You've got to make sure that nobody else is in your way. That's how you're first. But Jesus didn't, well, that's not how God's kingdom worked. But it's built into us, right? Just think about it. We want to be first. Just all the different times that we want to be ahead of everybody else. Something as simple as going to the, to the store, right? You go to the store and you're going to the register for, to, to, the, to register to pay for your stuff, right? What are we thinking? We all know what we're thinking. We're pushing that cart. We're thinking, which line is shortest? Number two, oh, looks all right, but that person's got a lot of stuff. Ugh, okay. Number four, oh, that person looks like they might open that, that register, but I'm not sure. I'll keep an eye on that one for later. Number seven, oh, just opened up. I'm going to rush over, but not too fast, because I don't want people to think I'm selfish, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what we do. We're trying to be first, and we're kind of looking around to see if anybody else sees what we see, and we hurry up and we get there. Oh, we got it. Awesome. Number four just opened up. Oh, you can go over there. Okay. <laughs> you know? So it's built into us. We want to be first. That's just how it is. And that's kind of a funny example, but the truth is, with, if we treat something that small like that, imagine what it's going to be like when there's some real weight to the decision or some situation. We want to make sure that we're ahead. But Jesus wants us to think otherwise. He wants us to put others first. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this. You can listen. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humil humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Those last lines, that's what the disciples and we need to hear. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. We need to hear this, and the disciples did too. It's just built into us, and that's, what, that's where we want to go. But Jesus wanted to model this. Jesus modeled something very different for us. And so, in order for those 
selfish ambitions and that pride to be put aside. We've got to be thinking about putting others first. Second, to be great. To be great, the world says, take for yourself. Take what you want. Take it for you. You see what you want, go out and get it. If somebody else wants it, take it before they get it. If they have it, take it from them. This is an interesting verse here where Jesus responds to the, to the question that comes up about the thrones. He says, you don't know what you're asking for, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Now in this verse, Jesus refers to a cup. Okay? And this was really more figurative than anything else. The cup really was a reference to the pain, the suffering, and the death that he would experience on the way to the cross and on the cross. That's what it was about. And this was something that was commonly used, especially in the Old Testament. You see the cup being used as um, a picture of, of judgment and receiving punishment. So Jesus asked, can you receive the cup? But notice the disciples' answer. First off, notice that the mom didn't answer. They answered immediately. So I guess she was out of the picture at that point. So she says, or she says, okay, I'm out. They say, yes, we can. And it looks like they do it right away. But I think we could easily see this as, oh, this is an amazing picture of commitment and desire to follow Christ no matter the cost. But the reality is, I don't think they really knew what they were talking about. I don't think they really knew what the cup meant. I don't think they were even thinking about it. When the question is asked, they're probably just thinking, is that it? That's the only question in the interview? Yeah, we can do that. Easy, done. Yes, we can. They were thinking, we'll do whatever it takes to get those high seats of honor. And if that's all that you're asking us, sure, we can do that. They just wanted the thrones. They were willing to answer with positive if they could just take those seats. So in ignorance, they answer yes. That they're willing to do, they'll, they'll drink from that cup. So they were just wanting to take it for themselves. But in God's kingdom, you give. You give to those who are in need. You look out for those who have a need, and you find a way to help them, and then you give. Jesus understood what the cup meant. He knew what was coming. This cup was a reference to what he was going to see in Jerusalem. He was not ignorant to the way to greatness in the kingdom of God. And he understood in order to be great, you needed to be willing to give. To give up your rights, give up your throne, give up your life. And again, back to Philippians chapter 2. If you have it open in your Bibles, you can keep it there. We'll be referring to it a bit. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Here's, here are some other versions. He said it a different way. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God. That's in the CEV. Another version says, 
Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. The complete opposite of taking. He didn't think of it something to hold on to. He let it go. In the, in the New Living Translation, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave them up. Let them go. Didn't hold on to them. So that we would, would have a way to God. So that we could have a relationship with God. He saw the deep need that we have. Instead of ta- holding on to what he had, he let it, let it go so we could have a way to God. So moving on, third, to be great, the world says, promote yourself, promote yourself. So, so far we have, the world says, take for yourself. We, set, we have, the world says, put yourself first. And last we have, the world says, promote yourself, promote who you are. Now, this is a big deal today, right? I mean, almost everybody I know is starting some kind of a small business, I am not good at that, so I generally don't do that. But, uh, you know, people have websites. They have an awesome Facebook. They're getting their name out there. They're writing a book. They're doing all that stuff. And you know what? There's nothing really wrong with that. But the problem, again, is we have to watch out when we're focusing on ourselves, and it's beginning to affect how we're treating others and our attitudes that are coming out of us. So Jesus, Jesus has this situation, and, and uh, then he tells the disciples, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not the one who does that. I'm not the one who hands out those seats. Well, this is what happens after. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Again, they had an argument, just like they had the other times. They were thinking, hey, you didn't give me a chance to say something about myself. Why did you guys go and do that? They weren't arguing because they were worried about Christ. They were arguing because they were worried about themselves. They wanted to make sure they had an opportunity too. How were they going to get their word into now? So we already heard how, how, how they acted. It's clear that they were acting selfishly. They were thinking of themselves. They were not about to lessen their status any further, but Jesus modeled exactly this for them and for us. Because in God's kingdom, this is, this is an amazing thought. It says, demote yourself to the point of a servant. Demote yourself to the point of a servant. You can see it also mentions, and it mentions two scriptures up on our slide. It says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be your servant. I think that's a typo there. The other one says, And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. These are strong words. To be a servant in that culture was considered to be pretty low. Nobody wanted to be a servant. And even further below that was a slave. Slaves had no rights. They were owned by others. But Jesus used this word intentionally. Because he was completely owned by his father. He was willing to do whatever his father asked. 
That's the example he was giving us. Going back to the scripture, Philippians chapter 2, it says, Again, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus took his work for his father seriously. He understood his call and he did what was necessary to complete the task. So he left all that he had to be a servant for us. He demoted himself, gave up all he had so we could be first. And part of the struggle he faced was also putting up with these disciples who just didn't get it. They just weren't understanding what was going on. Their self-centeredness and inability to grasp Jesus' teachings were difficult to handle, but he loved them and he was patient with them. And he took their insensitive behaviors and helped them see differently. And really, this whole situation that arose when we read about the mother asking for her two sons, that they, if they could have the throne, it was, it was an insensitive thing to ask. It was actually very rude. You see, what's really interesting about this passage is right before it, Jesus tells the disciples for the third time in the book of Matthew, he tells them for the third time about how he is going to, they're going to Jerusalem. He will go before people who will judge him. They'll convict him for doing nothing wrong. And then they're going to kill him. He tells them that he's also going to be raised up as well. But notice how this passage that we read today says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came. So it was almost like right after he said that, hey, it looks like whatever's going on is about to, to, to happen. Whatever you're talking about is about to happen. Can I get my seats? Can I get, make sure to get my stuff? Because I left everything for you, so I want to make sure that I get you know, something. And interestingly enough, in almost every other recording where Jesus begins to talk about his death, when he shares what's going to happen to him, almost every time the same thing happens. Somebody starts arguing about who's going to be greatest because when Jesus is glorified, I've got to make sure that I'm right next to him and I've got that high power, that authority. Almost every time it happens. So in light of that, you can, you can kind of Understand, this is really rude to be asking Jesus this. But like we talked about in the beginning, I think that's what happens when we begin to focus on ourselves. We begin to think, well, I got to make sure that I get mine. And anybody who gets in my way, well, you know, I'm focused on me. So we become insensitive. We become annoyed with others. We lose compassion. We focus on ourselves. We're no longer humble. We're focused on being prideful. So we begin to hurt people around us. And that's what happened here. So I think the challenge for all of us is to be able to look at this passage 
now and be able to recognize this is how the disciples were acting. But this is what Jesus modeled. We have to be honest. We're not that far off from the disciples. We don't always understand the, the teachings of the kingdom of God. We don't get it right away. But Jesus is always the same. Willing to help us, understand, be patient, and forgive us. And he showed us what greatness really is in the kingdom of God. And that's what we should be aiming for. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we're so thankful for your son and the example he gave us of being a servant. We're thankful to you, God, that you're patient with us and that you're willing to help us understand what your kingdom is like. Make us servants, God. Help us to be focused on putting others first and being a servant with a heart that's completely ready to give all that's needed, whatever you ask, in your name. Amen.